Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com
Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Getting It Out Podcast. That was Smolder, the song, The Talisman, and The Blade. That's off of their new album, Violent Creed of Vengeance, which drops April 21st via Cruz Del Sur Music, your source for the best in proto metal, heavy metal, power metal, rock and roll. I love that label. They always produce great records. And uh, this one is another great one. It's a follow-up from their previous LP, Times of Obscene Evil and Wild Daring. If you're not familiar with Smolder, get familiar. I hope that was your introduction. The group, officially based out of Canada, splits time between Canada and Finland now, but still managed to put together this great seven-track record. You're going to love it. It's bangers front to back, and that was the intent when they made it. If you want to know more about it, go to cruisedelsurmusic.com and check them out. Pick up the pre-order in the store of Violent Creed of Vengeance and be on the lookout for more. On this episode of the podcast, I'm talking to both members of Fort Token, Steve Redman and Dan Cooley. They're a symphonic death metal duo. They have their sophomore album out now, released just last week. It's called Triumphs. It's available everywhere on Prosthetic Records. It's incredible. We had a nice long conversation about it, and you're going to hear it. But first, you know it's time for Hot Zone. Check it! Make family out of friends! Make friends out of enemies! Peace to my family! Make friends till they bury all the places we've been! We're never sitting it out! We be getting it in! Where you getting it out? I said all the places we've been! We're never sitting it out! We'll be getting it in! Where you getting it out? March Madness is well underway, and uh, that means several different things to several different people. And if you're spring breaking in Miami, it really is truly March Madness. Have you heard about this? A state of emergency has been declared in Miami Beach after two deadly shootings this past weekend. March Madness, indeed, uh, the governor, the mayor, whoever runs Miami, said, that's it. We're shutting down. We don't want you spring break. Get out of here anyway. And uh, so they stopped selling alcohol at 6 p.m. How, what does that do? How does that stop the guns? You know, this is a, and you know, maybe somebody who's more conservative and more of a gun nut listening is like, hey, man, the guns had nothing to do with this. Eh, they kind of did. And uh, the somebody, you know, who's, uh, you know, whatever, left leaning, who's like, guns are terrible. They're the worst things ever. They can be all these things. All right. Now, this isn't a gun debate. By the way, I'm getting lots of gun ads on my algorithm lately thinking about picking up a couple. It's the storage options that they're getting me with. There's like a shelf that's also a gun safe. If you put your wallet on it, your money clip, as one is uh, the one who owns a gun carries, you put your money clip on it and the bottom of the shelf opens up and all these guns drop down. So we need that now because technology is interesting. But anyway, there's so there's these shootings in uh, Miami Beach over the weekend at spring break. Which, you know, it sounds like a uh, it sounds like one of those shitty made for TV movies like Spring Break Spree Killer. And uh, it's but it's really a shark dressed up as a as, you know, as Boban. And uh, he's out there murdering people. But, you know, sharks always have to work their way. And they're like cranberry in the 90s. They're like mangoes now. They're in everything. Include sharks somehow. And uh, maybe that's what's happening down in Miami. I don't want to make light of anybody getting shot. I'm just saying it happens all the time everywhere. So the fact that it's happening down at uh, spring break is interesting and uh, made for TV. 
business. And how do I know that? The TV, it told me. So don't tell me that I'm wrong. Anyway, what I've got going on in this episode of the podcast has nothing to do with spring break, shootings, sharks dressed as Boban Marjanovic, Marjanovic, and, uh, and it solely has to do with playing symphonic death metal. And it's with two members, Steve Redman and Dan Cooley. Steve Redman, you might've heard on a previous episode for his other band, The Day of the Beast. But this time we're talking about Four Token and their new album, Triumphs. And I'm going to play you a song from that record right now because that's the easiest way to get moving and get off the subject of spring break shark shootings. This one is called Demon Queller and then my conversation with the fellas.
So how did how did you two get together, Dan and Steve, and start working on this band? Well, um, I kind of started it as a solo thing. I just wanted to. I was really getting into like home studio stuff, and because uh, I've always kind of been into it, but then I really started getting kind of serious about it and um, started buying a bunch of studio gear and. Um, I kind of wanted to just, uh, do a, um, like a solo record just for fun. Really wasn't going to do anything serious. And then uh, I started talking to Dan and asked him if, um, he wanted to do vocals and he said, yes. And then we kind of jokingly mentioned, um, getting like Hannes Grossman to play drums because we knew he was a session drummer. And, uh, he was like, no, uh, no, maybe we should. And so that we did. And that's kind of how it started. When did you join Sayaga? 2006? Yeah, it's uh, so we, we played in a band uh, called Sayaga. This is a, like a tech death metal um, project. And we've been in doing that since, I, yeah, like you said, Steve, like since like 2006. And, and the band even existed before I joined. It had to have been like 2004. I think we started think. in like 2004. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, we, we've been playing together for over a decade now. Um, and so when Steve, as he was mentioning, was, was, uh, just kind of dabbling in a home studio and, and doing something else and realized I kind of want vocals to be a part of what I'm doing. Um, it just made sense to kind of just, you know, ask to his existing network. And I was like, actually I'm down to do it. So it was, I was shortcutted to the front of that line and yeah, here we are. So at the time, were you guys living near each other? And now, now you mentioned you're split up Pennsylvania and Virginia. Yeah. So um, Dan went to college in uh, my town and uh, he's normal. He's originally from Northern Virginia. So we yeah. were in Virginia. Actually, yeah, you were up in Virginia up until uh, what? When did you move to Philly? Uh, just this last year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But we still lived uh, when he was living, you know, in my town was when he was singing for Sayaga. <laughs> and uh moved back to northern virginia after college and then i mean we Sayaga kind of <laughs> unofficially went on hiatus um but we were playing shows randomly for the last or up until probably 2017 um yeah so we we lived kind of far apart but since it was like a studio thing it's super easy to make that happen yeah so i kind of i guess that kind of answers the the when and why <laughs> of four token coming together. Also, you know what I should ask right up front too, and I should do this all the time with every band. Am I saying the band name right? Because often I realize halfway through I'm not. Yeah. Uh, sounds right to me. That's how I say it. I hope we're <laughs> saying our band name right. <laughs> uh, you never know. I get on these things sometimes and I say the name of whatever I think of this band is that I've been listening to for years. And then, Oh they, yeah. Uh, I was thinking that the other day with like Insefirum and I was like Insefirum and my girlfriend says Insefirum. And then I'm like, I don't even know how it's supposed to be pronounced. Honestly, <laughs> there's several several examples in uh, in metal. I I wouldn't. I don't think I would have said Saiga, or you know. Yeah, that one. I, it was a really really difficult for people to say. Um, I don't think anyone ever got it right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Well, uh, okay, so so you guys start doing this back 2018 ish. Uh, the first record you do is Ruin that eventually comes out on prosthetic records. How did, how did you make that jump from self-releasing something to being on prosthetic records, which is a relatively big metal label? 
Uh, um, Dan commented on a Twitter post that they had <laughs> and they actually responded to it and um, were interested in signing us. That's simple. Nice. Pretty much, yeah, it was pretty much how it happened. Well, I don't want to say it was that simple because it was kind of this, um, there was like some sort of like courting process to it where it was uh, Steve Joe, uh, who is awesome, by the way. Um, he was on um, it, on Twitter and he was asking, hey, what's everyone getting for Bandcamp Friday? Hmm. And uh, this was like when Bandcamp Friday was just starting. And so I, you know, I shamelessly went in and was like, Hey, we just dropped an album. You should check it out. And he goes, maybe I will. And then I thought it was just going to die at that point. And he actually did check it out and then uh, reached out to us and, and started asking questions around, okay, well, what are you trying to do with this? Are you trying to go on tour? Are you trying to, you know, what are your aspirations and um, what do you think, you know, we could help with as in, you know, potentially prosthetic. And so then it became this back and forth over email uh, for some time. And then eventually they said, you know what, since you had asked us for some help, let, we're willing to work with you guys. It seems like you've got uh, your act together. So yeah, let, let's, what do you, what are your thoughts on a three album contract? So, uh, you know, two years later, here we are. And uh, yeah, Steve Joe and prosthetic is great. <laughs> that it's still still seems like a pretty simple process and a very cool one. It seems like that's a kind of a similar people have had similar experiences with prosthetic and Steve in particular. And I think that's one of the reasons why I look at the label so fondly and who they it's, deal with. It seems to be it's easy definitely going. A, it's like a far cry from how it used to be. Cause we were earlier talking about, you know, our previous band or uh, our other band. And I can recall back in like the early two thousands, if you wanted to get a promo out uh, record labels would ask you, I want you to send a CD as in a jewel case. And I want you to mail it to me and you got to have it printed out, you know, promo doc or promo sheet uh, on everything. And then, uh, you know, make sure that uh, you've got a, a picture of yourselves and, uh, and then, maybe they don't even listening to you, you know, and you have no idea as to, you know, do they look at my stuff or not? And so uh, it's a lot easier now um, is all I can say. Uh, no, no, no need to physically mail stuff in. Yeah. I used to hate like trying to figure out what goes into a press kit and having no idea. And uh, you know, I, I've, I've recently been uh, exploring the PR side of things because I've been dealing with PR people for years for 10 decades, you know, a decade at least where I get the pre PR releases, you know, from doing reviews or work over websites and like it's constant, right? Every day there's tons of them. So I thought, well, maybe I should just do the, you know, do this for bands that I like, you know, maybe local stuff. And I did for the one, one death metal band that just put out a record here. And, uh, it's a, it's not an easy process to, uh, to get people to answer anything, you know? And I, I know as somebody who is usually doing the answering that I ignore a shitload more than I answer, you know? And uh, I imagine for somebody bigger than I, it's, it's even worse. I feel like you could say that for just the internet as a whole. Like I know I've had this conversation with Dan a lot where it's like you post something on social media and it's just like, you're yelling into a void and <laughs> it's just like nobody listening. Um, it's kind of frustrating sometimes when you're trying to fight against the algorithm and then it's like, you know, trying to get you to pay the money to boost your post and mm. all that. Kind of stuff. I will say though, it, there's an art to 
it, it sounds weird to say kind of like we're new to this or we're kind of old school. Uh, I don't know how old you are, Dan, but like uh, we're not as probably social media savvy as um, you know, a lot of other bands. And so this has been a learning experience for us. So to your point, Steve, like yelling into the void, you have to know how to yell and we're kind of learning how to yell into yeah. the void. And that's been just a learning curve for us, uh, over the past, like, well, since we joined prosthetic was, yeah. And even with prosthetic, I had just joined Twitter because my wife said, you know, you should have a Twitter account. And so that's kind of when we, when we just started Twitter and started an Instagram and, and I was only using Facebook, you know, so, uh, that says a lot. I mean, we, my familiarity kind of was more with MySpace, and I don't think people are really using MySpace anymore. <laughs> we should, nah, that, we should that one's out. <laughs> yeah. Do a MySpace page. Um, well, to answer your question there, I'm 38, so I'm, I don't know oh, okay. how old you guys are, but I'm in, I'm probably in a very similar, it sounds like I'm in a similar boat with, uh, with social media use. I've figured out some things, but not a lot. And like you, for things like I do like this, I was like, well, I should have a Twitter and I, I can't, I can't do it. It's too much. Like I tried to, I, I genuinely try to make an effort to use these things and I can't do it. So I, so I know in that way, I can relate that way for, for a band, but it's, it's more important for you guys than it is for me or a band, not necessarily you guys, but bands than it is for what I do to get your name out that way. And it is weird, Steve, to your point, it feels like you're just buried and you put stuff up there and nothing happens. So it's very cool that very early on you had some big, big time results by just saying something on the internet, essentially. Yeah. I mean, uh, and honestly, you know, we're thankful. I mean, we do have like a, a, a label helping promote us as well. So I can only imagine like, you know, if you're not, when you don't have a label, it's even more difficult. I mean, prosthetic is sending our stuff, you know, everywhere. So, um, it's just, uh, it's just the world we live in today. Yeah. They know the voids and they know how to yell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to recycle some of those questions that you said, Steve, Joe asked you guys, uh, back in the beginning and still relevant now, what was for token meant to be? Was it meant to be a touring band? Was it supposed to always stay a studio project? How did this, what was the vision from the beginning here? I think initially it was, uh, we weren't really thinking at all about playing live at the very beginning. That was kind of, I mean, it, it was, it was always in the back of my mind, but it was not something that we were really thinking about at all. We were just like, let's just put out some music. Um, cause at the time when we put that album out, nobody was playing live, like for a right. whole other year, probably. Um, so we weren't really thinking about playing live. Um, but now we're, we're sending stuff to different drummers. (laughs) So, um, to hopefully get the live thing going at some point, kind of in the near future. So it's kind of, it's, it's kind of changed. And at the same time, I don't really see us ever touring extensively because Mm -hmm. we both have jobs that won't allow for that. But, um, maybe we'll make it big on TikTok, and then, uh, our lives will change forever. Never say never. Yeah, it seems this seems to be where it's going. Uh, <laughs> you just got to figure out that you got to figure out that algorithm too. They're all different. Um, okay, so so when you guys started this, and I know it's kind of a basic <clears throat> bare ass question, but you you hinted at the sound that you wanted. But was there specific bands or influences that you, you know you might have said, "Hey Dan, Steve," you might have said, "Hey Dan, this is what I want." 
Dan, was there something you said to Steve? Here's what I'd like to do. Um, I think because <clears throat> I've always kind of had a soft spot for like symphonic metal. And I had never done that before. Like I'd always just played like the day of the beast is just black and thrash. And, um, and I love that stuff. And Saiga was just like tech death, cryptopsy, like early cryptopsy vibes, you know? And I, that's like you know, one of my favorite things ever, but I always had the soft spot for symphonic metal and, uh, like symphonic death metal. And I just wanted to, I was dabbling with the home studio stuff and specifically like the, um, instrument libraries, Mm-hmm. of different orchestral instruments and stuff. And I was just learning how to use it. And so that first album was really like a uh, experiment, <laughs> like in me learning how to do all that stuff. But yeah, we kind of had that, you know, I don't think we really said, you know, we're going to, other than the fact that we were going to do like a symphonic metal band, I still feel like it's just me playing what I would normally play anyways with just with the symphonic uh, feel. And, you know, Dan kind of brought in the whole mythology theme which we both thought was a pretty cool direction to go the first record do you feel like you were you were successful with what you were going for with ruin i mean you put it out there and it's obviously exists and i think you're probably proud of it but did you feel like you nailed what you were headed the right direction with the first record i would say headed the right direction is the right way to put it um i knew that it wasn't perfect and there were some things that even you know bothered me about it you know, when we put it out, <laughs> but, um, I think it was headed in the right direction and we knew pretty quickly after we put that out, what we wanted to change for the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like we pretty much on this one, I wouldn't, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, I don't like to say I did anything perfect because I always feel like there's like improvements that can be made. But, uh, I do think that we, we took in, you know, we fixed a lot of the things we wanted to fix from the first effort. So there was also kind of a change in our mentality as well, because with the first album with Ruin, it was more like a um, uh, kind of like an album in the sense that you sit down and you listen to the album. There's two songs that are like 10 minutes plus. Um, we don't really repeat uh, anything in terms of there's no really no choruses there. There's hooks, but they're designed to not be hooks that are around a chorus. So it's, it's not as like an easy listen that kind of like keeps you engaged fully. You got to kind of sit down. It's almost like a, a more energetic, fast paced uh, doom album, if you will. That's just like, it just doesn't stop. It keeps you kind of enthralled with the instrumentation and uh, you know, what would I do with the, uh, the vocal parts? And when we were thinking about, all right, well, what do we want to do for the next album? Um, we kind of took a, shift in direction where it was like, actually, what if we did play some of this stuff live, these 10 minute songs, they're going to be a pain in the ass to do. Let's kind of think about, you know, how do we make something that's not like 10 minutes or, you know, that it's kind of a little bit more uh, digestible, um, not for the, you know, the purposes of, you know, we don't want to, we just want to create something that is a little bit more fun to play. Um, so that meant like changing the song structures a little bit more to be a bit more hooky and to include um, more uh, choruses or just in this case, choruses in general, because they didn't really exist uh, in the, uh, in the previous uh, album. And so it was kind of a, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a complete rehaul, if you ask me in terms of what we were trying to accomplish. And we just took like the building blocks of what was within ruin and we just gave it a new uh, coat of paint. And, and really everyone looked at it and was like, Oh, wow, 
that's what was underneath. That was great. Everyone so far, the feedback that we've been getting so far has been um, uh, really, you know, humbling. Uh, and we always like hearing, uh, you know, people like listening to our music. So, you know, it's been great. Yeah, I think we also uh, dialed back the orchestra a bit just to kind of let the guitars uh, come through a little more. Because I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a guitarist and I want people to hear my guitars. <laughs> sure. And then also, yeah. I mean, I do feel like the orchestra <clears throat> was a little bit busy on the last album. I'm by no means like a you know, master composer when it comes to that stuff. Uh, so I kind of dialed the symphonic elements back a little bit and just let the, you know, the riffs shine through. Um, so it's more of a, I, I would say it's more of a straight up melodic death metal record with like a hint of uh, symphonic elements. That's a, actually a good point to kind of bring up is that um, one of the things that we were doing is that we were trying to look for what do we want to do? Because if we were to play this live, it's got to be fun. It's got to kind of fit what we want out of it. And, um, you know, we're both fans of, of symphonic, you know, death metal, black metal, but sometimes the, the EQing of, of the orchestrations, it's a little bit too forward. And so we thought, well, this is primarily like a guitar driven band. We should be kind of um, adjusting those volumes, adjusting that amount of intricacy with the music musicianship and with the orchestrations to kind of match what we want to do. And kind of in turn, that helps us differentiate ourselves a little bit because like we're not supposed to be like the next version of XYZ band We're we're supposed to be, you know, for token, we're supposed to be our own thing. And so we thought to ourselves about how this is actually going to help us kind of stand a little bit to the left or to the right of, you know, the bands that, you know, we got inspired by to do this. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think I can totally see the difference that you're talking about between the two records. And it's something that in, it goes in my favor in that I don't love a lot of the symphonic death metal. I don't dislike it either, but sometimes it's too much of the orchestra. Like you're saying, it's just, it's, it's too much and it feels corny. And like with, with, with this new one with triumphs, sometimes I had to listen for it, you know? And I thought that was a, that was a nice touch. Um, and I, I just like what you do with, is there anything from the, uh, from it sounds like you got you guys were on the same page, but was there anything that you heard as far as people's criticisms of that first record that you think you implemented here? Or was this all just internal changes? Um, one of the big things was um, just the songs being so long on the first album, and that was one thing that it was kind of like we, we did those those few songs that were 10, 11 minutes long, and I was like, okay, we we know we can do that. Um, let's try to write songs that are uh, more accessible and you know, that was one criticism that we we had. And then also the orchestra being too busy and too, you know, front forward facing in the mix. And uh, that's something that I, I mean, both of those things I totally agree with. Um, and so I do feel like we tackled those, but other than that, I mean, Oh, and you know, I think the whole adding courses thing was kind of a, kind of our choice. Um, I, I've always loved like a big chorus in a song and yeah. I appreciate it when it repeats more than once. I mean, I know, I feel like when I was younger, I was all about like crazy tech death, you know, no riffs repeat. Everything's just insane the entire time. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> as, I, as I got older, I really appreciate like a big chorus. And um, there's a lot of that on the album. Tell me about writing choruses because as, as someone who's not a musician, like I hear 
like i don't know i don't know how to, how to say this i don't think i've ever been able to express this right like it seems like it should be so easy to write a catchy chorus but it's but it's somehow not and uh, like if it was everybody would do it for uh, you know all types of music did is that something that uh you guys find i don't know easy hard is it hard when does Steve, do you have to bring it to Dan and Dan say, no, I need it to be like this to put certain vocals. Just tell me about building a chorus that you guys like. Um, I really like to, I think it's really important, like the entire buildup to the chorus. So I really focus <clears throat> on that. Like I can come up with a chorus riff fairly easy. Um, like if I have like an idea for a chorus riff, um, but I feel like it's really important to kind of build up to that chorus. I can't really speak for the lyrics and that actually is probably pretty difficult, but I feel like Dan probably has a harder time with that than I do for writing riffs for choruses. I have a somewhat longer answer that I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it really is care about. No, but like, so the short answer is um, I think it's best when, when you think of a chorus, you may not initially think about it, but I think that kind of, you know, if if you were to just uh, randomly ask somebody on the street, you know, what is a chorus? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For us, it's got to like hook you. It's got to rhyme. It's got to, you know, be something that is is fun to say. And and for us, um, one of the kind of, I guess, trademarks now to what what we do, what I do lyrically is I like a lot of rhyme in what I'm saying. And so that means doing a lot of alliteration, a lot of assonance. So, you know, that first letter, uh, you know, um, mirroring what's uh, coming next. And, and so it just flows and it's just like, it's fun to say, and this is going to sound like overly dorky, but when we were going kind of 
from the start, thinking about the writing process, um, the first story that I was looking at was um, Beowulf. And one of the cool things that I realized about Beowulf and just stories from that era in general was that they're part of kind of like an oral tradition. Um, and they they kind of were able to exist in that way because of their rhyme and because of the structure of the words, because um, you would have to be able to remember these things. And so they kind of just flow if they rhyme and that helps people remember it, right? It's a mnemonic device. And so when I was thinking about things, not just in terms of the choruses, but not necessarily not the choruses, I thought about, they've got to be something that if the riff was not able to be heard, or if the drums weren't be able, like if you stripped away all of the musical components, do you remember what was in the chorus from a lyrical perspective? And that's what kind of was in the back of my mind when I was writing the entire albums. I want that to be there. I want you to, you can just like, you're in your car and you're like, nah, 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 damn it. This is, I can't get out of my head. You know? Right. Uh, so that's kind of what drove me to, to write, uh, you know, all the choruses and what I kind of think about when I'm writing choruses. So a little bit of a longer answer that I've much deeper answer sandwiched into. Yeah. I, I have <laughs> just like, oh, right. Riff <laughs> me, right. Riff. No, it's good though. It's something yeah. like, it's something that left and right brain. Yeah, there you go. You guys, you guys got it going on. Um, how much, and, and tell me about the, the <clears throat> writing process, because the way I look at it, the way I see it from what I, what I know about the way four token works is that Steve, you write everything except, except for the lyrics. And then you give it to Dan and then he does his thing. <clears throat> um, is that, is that, is it, I don't mean to say, is that simple, but is it that, is that the way it works? That's mostly it. I mean, I do show. I mean, I send Dan like the ideas as I'm writing them. Like I'll send him just a riff to a click track, you know, like once I have ideas, I'm like, here, check this out, you know? So, I mean, he does um, have a lot of input on, you know, whether or not he'll tell me if something sucks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I do write, I write the, um, you know, the music and um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. <laughs> For me, it actually, it's a little bit more complex uh, because while Steve puts together, you know, the the riffs and such that I'm listening to, there's kind of like a, a tone to it that I'm looking for. Because what I've done is that I've, because um, it's a lot easier for me to think about concepts and motifs and stories and such. And I have them all kind of in this like, you know, folder that I keep, uh, not literal, but like on my desktop or whatever. Uh, and I have these stories that I would like to inject into the album. But at the same point though, if the music doesn't allow it to like fit, mm -hmm. then I can't use it. So at any time I'm just waiting for, um, perceived to send me something and then for me to look at the, to, to listen to the, the song and then look at what out, what songs I have, or sorry, stories I have. And then I can say, okay, this one fits, this one fits, this one fits. I would want maybe these two, but it's, it will, or either it won't work. And so, uh, from that point, then I can kind of think about what actually does fit within the structure of the song. And, and this is going to sound even more dorky is that whenever Steve kind of writes the orchestrations and the music, I think about it like, you know, in a movie, when they send somebody to do location scouting, that's what I think of Steve doing in terms of the guitar, because like he's he's got the landscape. So he's painting this broad, you know, background for me to 
inject characters and plot lines and all sorts of stuff with the lyrics, but I can't do that if he doesn't give me something to work with. So that's kind of my approach to it, which is he's got to give me some workable material. He's got to give me the setting and then I have to populate it with whatever craziness is in my head. Yeah. I mean, I, if you want to like from more of like a technical standpoint, I mean, I'll just, you know, something will inspire me. I'll think of like, man, it'd be really cool to write a song uh, really fast. I'll hear a song or something. I'm like, man, it'd be really sweet to write something like that. And I'll, it'll kind of inspire me and I'll sit down and I'll, you know, put on a click track and then I'll just start jamming to it. And, um, that's pretty much how I write. That's how, that's how it starts. And then once there's a riff, I'll write like a second guitar riff to go, you know, left and right guitar. I'll write like the left guitar, you know, with the harmonies and all that before I even put a drum track behind it. Um, and then, yeah, once it's just kind of layer upon layer, um, then drums and then bass. And then, uh, the orchestra usually comes last. Well, it came last with this album. With well, this Ruin. album, I wrote everything. Yeah, that was a little bit no different. Orchestra. Kind of, you know, got an idea for what Dan was doing with the lyrics and then went back over and was like, okay, well now I can add these world instruments and, you know, based on where the song is, what the song is themed around. To me, that's, that's such an interesting thing. The way you've learned to use, to, to, to do the orchestration to, or am I using that word right? Orchestration to the way you, the way you've learned to do it, the way you've implemented it in the, in the band is super cool. It sounds legit as fuck. Like, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like, you know what you're doing. Um, the Dan, what you were saying about the way he has to provide you that, you know, that, canvas basically is that's that's a very cool thing to hear because it sounds like it can't be too it can't be too restrictive but it needs to but it needs there needs to be guidance too you know it's it seems like a delicate balance between between what you need to work with um i, I just think it's, it's very neat how you guys work this together but that brings me to like a question about the the drums um the way you you, you program the drums and then you send them off to honest yeah. so you send it to honest does he ever have to say, Hey, this doesn't work. Or are you, um, are you good enough at programming drums that he can pretty much make it work? I mean, I try to think of it. I mean, I'm not by no means a good drummer, but I've dabbled with drums. And I mean, I kind of have, I, f I do my best to make it as human as possible and try not to do anything too ridiculous. Um, and I just give him free reign. Like I'll send him, send it to him. And you know, the drums are there as a guide. I don't take a lot of time to program super intricate fills or anything. I'm just kind of like, here, these are the basic, this is what I have in my head. And, um, I tell him to do whatever he can to make it better. Cause I mean, I'm not a drummer. So, um, and he usually sticks to it pretty close. There was a few times where he suggested other things and every time he suggested something, it was better than the, <laughs> the original <laughs> idea I had. So, course you know? <laughs> yeah that's why we got him right right How, tell me about getting him tell me about that um now that i guess i could say that's a pretty simple process um we just sent him an email <laughs> said, we'll pay you some money and he goes all right oh. yeah i'm in yeah i mean and i guess you know it's something to say that i guess he was he must have you know liked it enough to, to want to play drums on it so that's that's that was actually kind of intimidating for me sending him my stuff on the first album because I've, you know, he's always kind of been one of my favorite drummers and, you know, necrophagist, um, the epitaph album is like 
a ridiculous influence on me and probably a whole bunch of other people. Sure. Uh, I was definitely intimidated. Like, Oh my God, he's going to hear my DI tracks. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, he's been really easy to work with and he works really fast. So that's cool. That's great. And it's, you know, it's, he's not the only name you got on this record. You got a guest solo on here too, right? Yep. Uh, Brandon Ellis from the black Dahlia murder. And that's on the, uh, I don't have the track list in front of me. What's the, what's it's the track towards the end, right? Yeah. Uh, it's second to last one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about that song. Cause that song, that song's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, that was, well, that's the longest one on the album. I'll let Cooley kind of go into the, the lyrical content. Cause I feel like that's, what makes it up. All right. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll put on the nerd hat again. So, um, so that's keep it on, man. Yeah. I know. I guess it's part of my personality. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it, it was me the entire time, you know, it's the Scooby-Doo mask and like, nope, just me, the, the, the big door. Um, but, uh, yeah. So what, what it is, is a tyrant rises as uh tyrants fall or sorry. Ty- yeah. As t- Titans fall. Sorry. I can't even remember my own, uh, Title. So what it's about is the Titanomachy uh, from Greek mythology, which is when um, Zeus uh, fights against his father, Cronus. And so what I wanted to do was to kind of make it a little bit more epic. So I took the origin story of Cronus himself and then the story of Zeus fighting against Cronus and sandwiched them together because they're often told in the same breath. Um, and what I wanted to do was make it almost like a Star Warsy kind of thing, not like not the the prequels or the the later ones, just the, the good Star Wars ones, you know, four through six. And so this effectively tells the story from Cronus's perspective, as in like, I need to become the ruler of everything. I need to set everything square. Um, and so once he ascends to power, he's told from his father who he kills, you know, you're going to get supplanted by your by your son, you know, have fun with that. And so he then goes off to, you know, squash any attempts for anybody to try to overthrow him. And then that's where the, sh- the, the song uh, shifts around where the, that musical interlude is that's meant to represent when um, he vomits out that, you know, that famous Goya painting where he like eats his, his kids and then he like later vomits them out. Um, so that kind of musical interlude is meant to represent he's vomited out the Olympians and there's a there's a glimmer of hope, right? Cronus is not the unbeatable monster that everyone thought he is. And then Zeus leads the uh, the charge against him. And then ultimately there's a showdown. And that's kind of um, that's manifested in the song when uh, Brandon Ellis plays his awesome solo. And that's supposed to be the clash between the two. Um, and then it ends with Zeus. And spoilers. Uh, absolute power corrupts. And yeah, he is not exactly the person that uh, everyone thought he was. That's very cool. I, I like how you know it all off the top of your head too. I mean, obviously yeah. you should, but I, yeah, like, I feel like Cooley's description of the song is like way more exciting than, than mine. But I mean, <laughs> I feel like from a, from a songwriting aspect there, uh, one interesting fact about that song is that main riff, like the opening riff was kind of inspired by the uh, reigns of Castamere um, from um, Game of Thrones. Uh, if you're familiar with that song, that's the song that plays during the red wedding scene, which is the one where everybody gets their throat, throats cut. You know, I'm not totally familiar with Game of Thrones, <laughs> but I did watch a couple seasons and I saw that one. So, so I, the earlier seasons, yeah, the, yeah, the later yeah. ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we don't need to get into Game of Thrones debate because I'll be useless in that. Uh, but <laughs> so Dan just broke down that song and explained it that way. Steve, does he do that for you? 
when the songs oh, yeah. are, you know, is that how it's, does he present them to you like this? Yeah. And he usually has the lyrics and the themes done like before I'm really even 100% done with the songs, So I can go back and kind of adjust things as needed, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the orchestra um, that kind of, you know, he'll, he'll tell me what the, the theme of the song and like which part of the world it's from. And then I'll be like, Oh, cool. I can use like a sitar or, or you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, he he's very in depth with with that kind of stuff, and it does kind of help me finish up, you know, wrap up writing the song. We'll uh, occasionally cool. like be hanging out um, and hashing out ideas, and typically when we're hanging out at a bar or something, I'll just kind of you know word vomit all of the stuff that's in my brain, talking about the the stories, and he's like, "Oh, that's cool." I, I mean, <laughs> which I completely get because like I'm speaking a mile a minute. Uh, and you know, we've been at the, the bar for, you know, a few hours or whatnot. So I'm, I'm sure that, uh, I can get very exhausting to deal with. <laughs> Definitely. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, I, I think it's, I, I think the dynamic you guys have here, the way you work is, is, uh, really cool and interesting and uh, refreshing really, honestly, um, talk to a lot of bands all the time. And, uh, this is not always, it doesn't seem that people usually work as well together as you guys do when it's just basically a duo. Why do you think you two work so well together? I mean, we've been playing in a, you know, working on music together for 15 years and probably more than 15 years now. I think it's also that we just kind of know what, what it, actually I don't, I was about to say, I know what you're going to do, but I don't because I don't play guitar and I certainly can't program drums or orchestrations. Um, so I probably shouldn't say that. Um, but what I would say is that I think that there's kind of like a, a trust in, I know Steve's going to write something really cool. And mm-hmm. by extension, um, Steve, uh, you know, trust that I'm going to write something that is equally cool from a lyrical and vocal standpoint. Um, so we just kind of stay in each other's stay out, stay out of each other's swim lanes really. Um, and I, I, I try not to be a, a backseat driver in terms of like, well, what if this was here? Cause like, I'm not, I don't play guitar. Like I can't really offer any sort of, you know, insight. Um, and then, you know, to that, to the flip side of that, Steve just says like, well, it'd be cool if there was like a, you know, yell here or something like that, but never like, I want you to write this word for word or idea for idea. He's, he's never really intrusive like that. I, yeah. I, I just kind of don't feel like dealing with lyrics anyway. So <laughs> I've never, I've, I don't think I've ever tried to write lyrics to a song before. It's always been pretty intimidating. I've thought about it before. Um, but yeah, I just let him do that. Your system is working. Uh, Cause I, like I said, I've listened to triumphs quite a bit and it's, it's very cool. You guys had that, that promo was out pretty early if you know, for most people, I got you got to give prosthetic that too. That came across the, the digital desks very early, which is, which is very nice. Um, there seems to be a loose, if not, if I could be wrong, but like it, there is a concept or theme ish to the record, right? Like, I mean, maybe to the band, I should say largely, but but then you throw in a cover song at the end. How did that get there? How did you fit that? I'm, and I'm going to say this band's name wrong. Naglefar, even though I've seen it my whole life. Does that, does that sound right? You got it. All right. Hey, how, what do we know? Maybe at the least G's all three of us think that we're right. Yeah. The G could be silent. And we're yeah. <laughs> so how did that record, how did that track get on the end of this record? Uh, that's one that we just have always, we've loved the album Sheol forever. And I think at one point we even covered that song in Sayaga. We did uh, yeah. for, at some shows. And uh, 
yeah, we were just we were like trying to figure out. We just wanted to have a cover on there at the end, just for fun. And uh, that song was kind of yeah. We've always loved that song. I guess to another extent, one thing that I'm learning about, you know, you were just talking about uh, a while back, Dan, about, you know, dabbling in PR and such. Mm-hmm. One thing that I'm learning is that if you don't sometimes don't say it, then it doesn't get understood or it doesn't get thought about. So I guess I should throw in that one of the things that was always in the back of our minds is that we wanted something to be kind of the cover song needs to be an extension of what we're trying to say. And so um, with um, I Am Vengeance, it's it's a very angry song. And so kind of the idea at putting it at the end of the album is that after all of the battles, after all of the victories are done and everything, you know, and the campfires die down, right. The animosity is still there. And then, then comes the vengeance, right? Somebody's going to get pissed at the end of the day from, you know, everyone's happy with, uh, you know, all events. And so, you know, that inevitably will come. And uh, so that was kind of a a way to make it full circle um, from a, uh, you know, just a, a motif perspective. Yeah, I, get, yeah, I like that. Well, the last record, Ruin, was released like middle pandemic shit, right? It was 2020. <clears throat> at least I think that whole year was fucked. I don't, I don't, I don't remember where we're at now with this stuff. I think we're done with it, by the way. Are we? I don't know. Let's not. Let's not even bother answering <laughs> that question. Um, Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> and this one uh, now drops March 17th. 10 days from now. Do you feel like there was a missed opportunity to do anything with that last record or being what the band is? Did it kind of, was it, was it okay? And is there something you can do now that you weren't able to do then? And then ultimately what's next for, for token? Is there live shows? Is there what, you know, what's, what can happen with the band? Uh, I think it was a opportune moment for us to release ruin when we released it just because it was the pandemic and nobody was playing live. And I think part of the the thought process when, you know, Steve Joe was talking to us and we were like, you know, what are you guys planning? And, you know, nobody was playing live. And I think that was kind of, I'm not saying that's part of the reason we got signed. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the time, you know, there was nobody playing live and I, you know, I kind of feel like maybe that had something to do with why they were willing to release it. Um, and you know, now I I do think we, you know, we were thinking about playing live. Like I said, I've actually been talking to a few drummers um, who are interested and I've sent them all both albums and I kind of have like a set list in my head. Um, so yeah, that's something that we're really shooting for. And then, you know, I'm already starting to work on ideas for the next album, which I think Cooley's already got like an entire book full of lyric. <laughs> oh, I, I, I do. I have too much, which we're going to have to, I'm going to have to, you know, trim some fat on that before I even realize it's fat. But um, that's another thing. But I, I would say, honestly, I don't think that there's anything that we we could have really done differently uh, with Ruin in terms of how it was released, um, when we decided to release it, because we didn't really have any control over, you know, the world going to shit for a few years. And, you know, ask people and it's at varying stages of coming out of that world of shit. So, um, so that's still a thing. But what I think silver lining wise out of all that was that we were able to kind of release an album that we, we were trying to figure out exactly what we wanted to do. I mean, we, we, we figured out what we wanted to do between us in terms of like, uh, we wanted to have an album be, you know, this kind of more like longer, uh, listen kind of thing. 
And then we got some feedback um, and then we were able also to kind of just feel out where we want to go as a band. And that's probably the best time to do it when uh, everyone's not being nearly as critical. Um, So I I think that that was actually very fortunate for us for things to play out the way that they did. Yeah, I agree with that because I mean, we weren't, we weren't like a band who was like super eager to play shows at the very beginning um, because we just simply couldn't. <laughs> so it was kind of convenient that it happened during the pandemic. It was like a soft open kind of to our, <laughs> to our <laughs> musical restaurant that we have. Well, now, now the restaurant is uh, open and taking seat. Well, it's delivery only. Well, now what would it be? It would be, uh, I don't know. We're doing takeout. Take out. Um, we're, not, we're not doing dine in yet. Yeah. We're not. We're not coming to your. Yeah, we're not. We're not catering yet. Uh, we're not. Uh, we're not going to your house or your town to set up a, a banquet. Um, but uh, we do. We are accepting orders. So, well, ideally, eventually, you guys are playing shows. But until then, you're not. So, tell me then, when this comes out, what are you most looking forward to with the release of this record? Uh, I just. I really hope that. You know, we dumped so much effort into it. Um, we worked really hard, so I just really hope that everybody loves it. I mean, the track that we're actually focusing on on, on release day is uh, based on Irish mythology. And so we initially that was not the track we were going to go with to kind of have as the focus track. But we we swapped that around. Um, so and that one's probably the fastest, craziest song on the album.
So there you have it. That was my conversation with the fellas in Fort Token. The song you just heard might have been called His Riestrad. I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly. It's about an Irish mythological hero. What's his name? His name is Ku Cullen, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, but I'm doing my best here. But these guys, you know, I appreciate all the insight and story behind everything they're doing with the band. Dan Cooley does a great job of putting this stuff together uh, lyrically and thematically. And of course, Steve does a great job writing the music. And uh, that track is another excellent example. I hope if you haven't heard Four Token before from their last record that you will now give them a shot with Triumphs. I highly encourage you to get involved. Listen to it all, you know, consume the album as a whole. And uh, that's the way it's meant to be done. And that's the best way to experience it. Again, thanks to them for coming on and having a chat with me. It was worth my time. I hope it was worth yours as well. All right. Well, be sure to keep your eyes and ears trained to Getting It Out podcast, gettingitout.net. See what's happening the rest of this week, the rest of this month. I'm going to try and bang out quite a few more episodes between March 20th, which it is right now this morning, and March 31st. Is there 31 days in March? I think there might be. So we got plenty of time for, let's say, at least four more episodes. Be on the lookout for that. I want to thank you for listening to this one. I want to thank you for being so loyal to me. I don't know that that's the case, but I appreciate it anyway. For those that are here every week, you know the drill. Now I'm going to play you a track from another band that I think you should listen to. This one is from Void Ceremony. The song is called Writhing in the Facade of Time. It's off of their new record, Threads of Unknowing, which comes out in 20 bucks spin records April 14th, just a few weeks away. And if you're familiar with the band from before, you're going to love it. And if you've never heard them until now, you'll also love it. That's it for this one. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 